Welcome to 3 a.m. What's Keeping You Up at Night, a production of the McFarland Group. We begin our series, Pivot Through a Pandemic, with Damon Johnson, Director of Community Relations of Oakland, California's Oak Stop Alliance. I met Damon, a fellow alum serving on a panel about entrepreneurship at Vassar College's recent Sophomore Career Connections annual event. His story about how his organization created a pivot point during the pandemic showed me how deeply Oakstop understands its constituents and how the pivot actually strengthened its relevance to the community and secured its sustainability. Before we start, you need to understand that Oakstop is a place-based enterprise offering affordable workspace, event space, and arts programming to catalyze collaboration, professional development, and economic sustainability for creative entrepreneurs and small local businesses. So clearly, their business model was severely challenged as the world shut down with COVID. Damon tells us how Oakstop beat COVID and expanded their resource portfolio to serve even more of their constituents in the Oakland area. Let's jump in. Damon, thank you so much for being with us. This is going to be awesome. So let's talk a little bit about the organization as you set it up and then the pivot that you made during the pandemic. Sure. So thank you for having me, first and foremost, to give you an, an overview of the organization I work with. I work with an organization called Oakstop in, in the East Bay. Uh, in in Oakland. And what we do, our normal day-to-day is we protect space for community use. So we have four East Bay venues that we offer up as space for co-working functions. We have gallery spaces. And what we look to do is provide a very low-cost, easy-access venue for people to come and plan their meetings to, we have activists and nonprofits that come in and really have a a technical need for a professional workspace. Our workspaces start at $50 a month. They're they're really affordable. And what we looked to do at the beginning of last year and really why I was brought in was we wanted to establish a nonprofit arm called Oakstop Alliance, which took this goal even even further and looked at our network of all of the people doing amazing work in our buildings and said, how do we enable them to have zero barriers to come and deliver amazing experiences and knowledge to this low to middle income community that is number one, being pushed out of the Bay because they can't afford to operate in the Bay, but number two, may not be able to afford these incredible sort of experiences that that they should be getting, right? So our main goal was to bring people together and enable um, these practitioners, these community practitioners to to, to practice with, without rent and without all these upfront costs being a barrier. So in March, <laughs> obviously our goal to bring everybody together and put together live events took a hard left, right? So we had to close all four of our buildings. We were in the same bucket as you know thousands of businesses locally and we saw there were ways for folks to reach out and try to get resources but 
you know, things like PPP loans, rapid response grants, we saw that there were crazy barriers for for entry for those. And, you know, it, it goes in line with, you know, just, just to be blunt, when you have financial organizations in charge of getting money out to communities that they've been ignoring traditionally since, you know, the beginning of this country, it's setting yourself up for failure, right? So what we looked and and, and said in, in our pivot, we have these spaces, uh, we can only use them for essential services. If, you know, we need to pay rent too, but we also, we don't want empty buildings, but how do we look around in our community and make sure that we're using our resources and we're using our knowledge of how to navigate in financial circles to to really benefit the the up and down the street, those like brick and mortar businesses that are really the lifeblood of, of our communities. Right. So we did two things. We opened up our, our doors immediately for any organizations that needed to to come in and have a space to work. You know, we are super blessed that Meals on Wheels is a is a 365 tenant of ours, Meals on Wheels, Alameda County. We obviously love we love the work they do. We were able to expand their footprint in our building and just say, look, you have full run of the building. And of course, they got a huge uptick in demand. The folks that that they served, they, they needed more space to be able to put together rapid response packs and increase their, their, their response, right? We opened up the space for an organization that created PPE using 3D printing, which we all just fell in love with, they came and pitched us and they were like, look, we need a space to be able to teach hospitals how to use the technology we have, which is really straightforward to be able to 3D print their own masks. We want to be able to set up here to to start it and prove that concept. They were able to work out of our spaces for two or three months. So Damon, this sounds as though you made lemonade out of lemons, but it sounds as though this notion that is part of the business plan, which is infrastructure. I mean, literally, right, as well as informationally, you guys were able to leverage what seemed to be, you know, every, everything's crashing, everything's uh, stopping, everything is closing down, and you opened it up so that these very structures could be used for the PPE, uh, 3D printing company, and Meals on Wheels, which is a, a pivot of some sort, right, from the initial kind of incubator, in-house meeting space, at special event space, to now being a place where these organizations get to deploy and actually provide their mission. Is that what I'm hearing? That's what you're hearing. And that was very, very, very early in the process. This is right when shelter in place happened. So first thing we said was, let's make sure our goal of having the community be able to leverage a space is still there. We know folks can't pay us, but we're looking with a flashlight in the daylight. We're looking for folks that can come in and keep using our space. If, if space is the only barrier for somebody to go out there and, and do good work, we wanted to move past that. And then what we saw with the murder of George Floyd, in addition to COVID, in addition to shelter in place, we saw this community uprising across the nation where people were in the streets protesting, but along with peaceful protesters that came there, especially in Oakland, we saw folks come into our community who weren't necessarily there to protest or to have their voices heard. They were, they were there under the cover of protest to break stuff, to have 
their night where they can throw bricks and have graffiti up. And what we saw was Black-owned businesses were being targeted. So when you have a, a protest in the name of George Floyd, and then all of a sudden, up and down the street in Oakland's you know, Broadway, o- Oakland's Main Street, or down 14th Street, you have these businesses that all of a sudden had shattered windows. These business owners who were in pain because of what is happening in the country, and now they can't open the next day. Like that could that could be the end for businesses who traditionally have less access to capital, who have less access to to resources that are meant for their community. So we looked and, and we said, what can we do immediately? Because we have to eliminate all red tape for folks in our community to be able to get resources to, to stay in business. So Trevor Parm, who is the founder of Oakstop, who is my partner over at Oakstop, him and his friend, Elise Douglas, actually started raising money and very quickly raised $30,000, which blew us away to say, okay, cool, we can get this money in the hands of local businesses who have damages that need to be addressed. As we were walking through that process, so that's the number one pivot. Number one is saying, okay, we're looking to raise some money to help folks who had damage and then looking and saying, wow, we've raised a lot of money. Now we need to build a little bit more of a structure here because, you know, while we were looking for maybe ten dollars to $20,000 to help four or five businesses, now we had some income that was, that was coming in. So we established the Oakland Black Business Fund. We're all volunteers. I'm still to this day a volunteer. We looked and we said, with this work that we're doing, with this money that we've raised from private donations, uh, initially it was a GoFundMe. We closed the GoFundMe and reached out to some of our corporate partners, reached out to grant funders and said, our purpose is really, we started with damage, but we looked and we said, Black-owned businesses have a long list of technical assistance needs that traditionally, you know, nobody's come into our community and said, hey, we want to help you fund your business. Like We know that Black business owners have to bootstrap. You know, there's that famous quote, it's cruel to tell somebody to bootstrap when they don't have a pair of boots to start out with, right? So, so what we've been able to do is work with folks on a one-to-one basis, get a really clear idea of what their specific business needs are, and then leverage our networks within the East Bay with other Black practitioners to service those businesses. So for example, if a business doesn't have a website that's equipped to all of a sudden meet this digital demand and this e-commerce demand because they're a brick and mortar space that maybe had a 10-year plan and now it's a 10-minute plan, we'll work to help them get up and running and help them create an e-commerce strategy. If somebody needs to speak to a lawyer, uh, if somebody needs marketing help, if somebody needs help negotiating with their landlord, like that was a really, really big request is folks that were falling behind in their rent. And it's just once you're out, it's exponentially harder to get your business started again, where you know most of these businesses need a, a little help in how to negotiate with, with their landlords who are feeling who are feeling it as well, but honestly want to keep them in. We want to keep this community thriving. So you've created this resource center that moves from a brick and mortar kind of support to now a uh, still brick and mortar, but a knowledge-based support that also provides some financial opportunities 
particularly to serve focused service on marginalized communities who are affected by COVID in a much more substantial way than other communities, along with the systemic kind of racism that has pushed them out of getting services because of of who they are. How has that, if I've got that right, Damon, what has that done to your business plan? Certainly having now this foundation fund, having that responsibility opens up a whole new portfolio for you folks, as well as bringing in this expertise. So talk to me about the business plan, your business plan, and how the pivot, uh, which is substantial, has affected that business plan. So you hit the nail on the head as far as like what we're really looking to do is engineer this black business network and take resources from outside of Oakland and forcibly inject dollars into Oakland and have it circulate four or five times. All right. So at this point, we have 70 businesses that we've funded. We've raised $444,000, which is a nice clean number, the 444, right? Just so happens to be, what is that? So I just want to say, just a little timestamp thing, which I'm sure you know everyone will go, please don't put time on it. When we talked in January of 2021, you were excited about a raise of a quarter of a million dollars. So now you're telling me that in that short amount of time, you guys are almost a half a million, which is outstanding considering this is all new stuff, right? Right. Just outstanding. I just had to interject that for folks listening. Okay, so 444. Right. Again, like we have an amazing crop of volunteers. Like We're all volunteers. Like Trevor and I are the two executive volunteers, I, I would say, right, who are driving strategy. And then we have 41 other volunteers in various committees who, you know, this is all by design because what we see with, a lot of these funds is that, you know, if we use a nice round number, if we say a hundred thousand dollars comes into this fund and it's like, okay, it's, we're going to get a hundred thousand dollars out to folks. A lot of that gets eaten by overhead. It gets eaten by administrative fees. So when people are donating and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, great. We have $40,000 to get out there after everybody sort of takes their little bit. We really needed to look and have this be a clean process and say every dollar that is donated and gets put in there is going to go straight to these businesses. So powerful, right? So yeah. Powerful. Yeah. So what it's done specifically for our business plan. And really it's, it's funny because when I'm talking to folks, I'm officially the director of community relations, which means at some point I have a direct conversation with every business who applies. So I, I always joke, my day job is still, you know, I'm the executive director for Oak Stop Alliance, which OBBF falls under. But in looking and saying, you know, we're not far off from our doors opening again. So what does that look like when our business is, is open and we're actively leveraging our, our space again? One of the latest things, and this is how this has changed my business plan, and I'm really excited about it. One of the recipients of OBBF support was a local amazing chef named Rain Free, who has a business called Red Door Catering, right? She operates in West Oakland, which is a food desert and has this beautiful professional kitchen and her catering business was booming, right? All of her corporate clients obviously canceled their events. Her business dwindled and she came to us and she said, look, I have this vision of 
using this space. I want to protect this space. So the same way we protect our spaces in downtown Oakland, she's looking and saying, this is an amazing kitchen. I want to make it a community kitchen. And she had visions of starting a collective and having young Black chefs and food entrepreneurs be able to come in, utilize this space and work together to support each other with networking, with jobs, with the fact that she's set up for pickup and and delivery services, right? So we're partnering with her and we're actually funding the collective. So for every business that comes in, we're starting with 10, right? These businesses will be able to come in and use this community kitchen. We have a blend of chefs that have food for retail purchase. We have bakers. We have beverage entrepreneurs. We're going to take the space where there's one person in there struggling to build a demand. And we're going to fund 10 people going in there and all of a sudden creating this vibrant community kitchen in a food desert and building content around it. So my biggest shift is instead of doing live events and having that be our main focus is we're looking to have community oriented, educational and entertaining content that revolves around people in the Oakland community who are doing amazing things. That's going to be a content play for me now is to say, how do we make one of those positive reality shows? I know, you know, my background is with MTV and Red Bull and Viac, you know, Verizon. So how do we have a reality show that's not, you know, people throwing glasses at each other and arguing, but it's like, here are 11 of the most talented young chefs that are in Oakland. You can order their food as soon as you watch this episode. You can patronize their business in West Oakland. You know, one of the biggest problems is people are like, we want to help, we want to support, but we don't know how. We don't know how to get started. Where I'm raising my hand and saying, let me introduce you to, to four or five people that you should support immediately. And Damon, what a ripple effect, right? Here's the magic of what's happened through you two just doggedly saying, we got to make this work. And how do we make this work? So to, oh, I just this is just so inspiring. So you know, you start by saying, we got to keep our doors open. You help Meals on Wheels. You help the folks with the PPE. You see gaps. You put yourselves into those troubleshooting, solution-oriented, to fill the gap kind of mindset. You do that on multiple levels. And then this notion of the change between, which you'll still do social events, clearly, right? But now understanding that knowledge base and funding is important, particularly in these marginalized communities who are living through the pandemic, trying to keep their businesses open, et cetera. And you are telling the world, hey, first of all, you guys are missing out because we've got it going on because we know that these communities should get your attention And now they're going to get your attention because we're going to make sure that they do from our volunteers as well as our funding structures. I mean, it's just amazing. We'll take a short break and be back with Damon Johnson. The McFarlane Group works with nonprofit social impact organizations who are determined to serve more. We help leadership meet their intended outcomes, expand their portfolio of services, and provide greater impact to those they serve. Our process brings clarity, confidence, and control to their work. Clarity by working with an organization to achieve meaningful results, 
confidence in themselves and their team to implement their strategy, and control to take high-value actions to achieve their intended results. Let's connect to see how we can walk alongside you to develop a strategy for you and your organization for greater impact to serve more. Contact us at www.themcfarlandgroup.com. And now, back to our conversation. Would you have done anything differently in hindsight? I mean, it sounds like I know I know every day is a struggle because we're still in this thing, but would you do anything differently in hindsight as you move through this? You know what? I really don't think so. I really want others to get value from from this story. Like what's behind this all is that Trevor, like my partner, this is an incredible businessman. And the first thing he did was go to his landlords to make sure that that relationship was protected, to make sure they understood we're in this together. Like we want to make sure that we're amazing tenants and that you're going to get paid, right? But let's restructure our pay structure so that we can do this in a feasible way. And what he basically did was buy us time. And that's the first thing any business needs to do is look and say, how do you, how do you buy yourself time? How do you not just accept? It's like, okay, we're going to now be six months behind in rent, 12 months behind in rent. So that negotiation happened first. And then we were able to find the folks we worked with and develop a vision and pull in partners who we were working with them to begin with because we knew that they were amazing partners. But for example, a community bank of the Bay, who is a CDFI that we bank with, all of these businesses that we talked to, my first question for them was, did you get a PPP loan? And I had so many stories of people who said, no, you know, we got denied right away. Like, who do you bank with? And, you know, all of the names you would expect, right? The folks who are the big banks. And it's like, I bet you've banked with them for 20 plus years and you didn't get a level of service. This rule change with the, with the Biden administration, it's the fourth or fifth rule change. And it's been opening up again and again to say, if you didn't have access to it when it first rolled out, there's probably a rule change that makes it apply to you. Right. So with working with Community Bank of, of, of the Bay, number one, they funded us right away. They said, this is amazing. And we want to make sure that we're we're helping. But they also said when when the PPP process opened up again in early January, and we didn't know when it was going to open, but we knew it was coming, they said, let's circle the wagons right now. And you know, we want to make sure as many businesses in Oakland have access to this funding, which is forgivable you know, is a lifeline to all of these businesses. We were able to work in partnership with them. And as folks were applying to us, we were pushing them directly to this financial organization that all of a sudden you can pick up the phone and talk to somebody. You know where the bank is. You know that the community is able to go and have their questions answered versus going to a big bank and having a 1-800 number where they're sitting on hold for 12 hours. Yeah, right. So I appreciate you starting with a story with Trevor because what it also shows and is a great modeling example is you can talk to anybody. You just need to let them know what your story is. They may say no, they may say yes, but let's at least get to an answer. Here are some ways to do that, which I think particularly for entrepreneurs, they're so used to working so hard and sometimes very used to getting no that 
that they just kind of shut down sometimes. And what you guys showed in, through innovation and also through your business skills were ways to get around something, which is also what entrepreneurs need to be able to do and what your innovation and your pivot allowed them to do as well. The thread through this is just persistence, right? And courage and some stubbornness, but also leadership. So are there some leadership tips you'd give to folks who are still working through? We you know, we kind of see the corner. It, it does move every once in a while, a little bit farther down the street, but we are starting to see the corner that we get to turn at some point to bring this new normal and all the innovation and all the troubleshooting that has gone and problem solving that has come with it. What are some essential leadership tips you used to pivot through the pandemic? What I would say, the number one leadership tip is that you have to lead with passion. I am very fortunate that my first pivot was to pivot from kind of corporate America and take all of my evil marketing powers, right? And say, I want to work in the nonprofit world. I want to work in a field where I can use those skills, but also go to sleep at night and know that somebody has benefited from my work. Someone has learned something from my work. I'm advocating for a marginalized community every day that I wake up, right? And I, and I do my work. So that really sets me up in, in a great place because I understand the work that I'm putting in is to, it's a goal I'm setting that we can't fail at. If we fail, then our community becomes a, a strip mall. <laughs> if we fail, then these folks that when you walk up and down the street and what you call a community is the people who are bringing culture. Like Oakland is known as a culture destination. It's these people who have lived in Oakland, who love in Oakland, who do their business in Oakland, and they they deserve to stay in Oakland. So leadership-wise, I think it, it was very easy for us to get off the ground and connect with people with what we were doing and to gain their trust because when we reach out and we talk to these businesses and we say, hey, here's what we're looking to do, we can give them the full vision. And that comes from my my marketing and event background to be able to say, here's the step, here's the stage we are now. Here's your role in that. Like we want to support you absolutely. But the long-term goal, and we're really clear of it, is we want to be advocates for the Oakland business community and to be able to say when opportunities come up, we tend to miss the memo. Like businesses that are run by women, people of color, LGBT communities, it's like when it's when it's time for funding and capital to come, for some reason, their phones don't ring off the hook with people saying, this is for you, right? So to present ourselves as those advocates and for folks to know that they can come to OBBF, not just with requests, but with opportunities, and they can trust that we're going to be responsible and we're going to make sure all the resources get into the community. That's an amazing place for me to sort of do my work with that being the backdrop. I just love that, Damon. And I think what I get from it, from the moment I met you in January, right, at our beloved alma mater, but the moment I met you, you are solution-oriented as well as results-oriented. And so this passion you talk about, which is essential if you're in the social impact organization world, right? But what I like is instead of rather than limiting the opportunities for growth for all of these businesses that you're working 
with what you're trying to do is empower them. So you're trying to work yourself out of a job, right? So you, it's like, we'll, we'll do all we can to get you started. We'll do all we can to support you. And then we're going to let you fly because we're going to give you the resources that you need. We'll constantly check on you. But the point of what we're doing is for you to be successful because of your work rather than, you know, being dependent on the work that you folks are doing. And, and, and I think that's essential, I, particularly in the social impact space. If you're not about creating a solution to kind of almost end or move your mission to another level or another rung like you guys are doing to, to advocacy, I'm not sure that I, th- I think you need to rethink your plan, right? Well, I would say too, something that applies to anybody is just be graceful with your time and with your attention because 90% of what I'm able to accomplish is not going into any of these conversations with businesses with preconceived notions. I let them, of, of course, everybody needs money. They come and they say, hey, we need money. And it's like, okay, I can't I can't give you $20,000. Like That's not what we do, right? But listening to what the needs truly are and then saying, well, here's how we can help, but also keeping every business that applies in my back pocket. Like the way that the food collective happened was another young chef came to us and said, I've been displaced from this place I used to do pop-ups at this business closed. So I need a new place to create. And I made that connection. And I said, well, in my support, I can also support this amazing West Oakland chef who has a kitchen. You guys should connect and putting them in the room together and sitting there and being a fly on the wall and watching the natural mentorship that happened and speaking to rain and saying, Hey, is this something that you think would be viable to have more people come in and do this? And she looked at me and said, are you kidding me? This is what I've been pushing for. Like, here's my deck that I put together and trying to establish a collective. Right. And I said, hold, please. Like, this is amazing. Okay. Let me look at this. And I went back and I actually had a conversation pending with, with a funding source who they're amazing. Eli and Alana Schultz, who were actually friends of, of Trevor, who were looking and saying, we want to support you in some way, shape or form. Can you let us know exactly what you're doing? And I was able to package up this idea and just say, Hey, we want to work with this amazing chef rain free. And here's what we need to get this off the ground. And they looked at it and they said, this is amazing. We want to be a part of it. And we were able to have funding for this extended idea within a week and a half, which is mind blowing that I had a conversation with somebody around the work we were doing. She armed me with everything I needed. She was like, Hey, here's, we're ready to do the work. And we were able to have this opportunity to turn around and say, okay, we're fully funded for this. Let's go. Let's do it. The way I'm able to do that is just listening and just making sure that everything somebody's saying to me, like I'm, I'm hearing it so that I can go back and tell them, hey, here's what you should do. Here's what I need from you. But to say, okay, great. Thanks for letting me know that. And if I can be of help, I truly will be of help. It's not always in that next 90 seconds that you're going to be able to, to help that person, but it'll, it'll probably be within, within two weeks or a month that I'm able to circle back and be like, actually, do you still need so-and-so? Because I talked to somebody else and they're looking for X, Y, Z. So whatever nature of business you're in, whatever service you're providing, if you're 
you know, if you're trying to sell, if you're trying to keep your business afloat, but you're also listening to other people and you're building a network, uh, that's as valuable as having a sale that day or making a conversion that day is walking away with somebody having you top of mind and saying, well, I can't help you maybe, but you know, I was talking to somebody else and they might be able to help you. Can I link you two together? Like that's, that's how this has been working and really trying to make sure this Oakland community, all of the business we work, all the businesses we work with, we want them to be working with each other too, independent of us. So when we step away, we can say, yeah, you met each other via the Oakland Black Business Fund, but you know, now there's this amazing natural network in our community. Exactly. Damon, this is wonderful. I can hear the, I hear the passion, of course, that we spoke about before, I, but I also hear the humility. I really appreciate you joining us on the podcast, 3 a.m., What's Keeping You Up at Night, and sharing this story in the first of our series of Pivot Through the Pandemic. It's been truly inspiring. I certainly wish you all the best. And we'll make sure that when we post the episode, we have all the information for anyone and everyone who wants to get involved with the work that you're doing in Oakland. So, Damon, thank you so very much for being with us today. It's so much appreciated. And thank you for taking some time to, to learn about what we're doing. This is, this is exactly what we need, is just to have some visibility and to inspire others. Damon Johnson and his colleagues at Oakstop believe in the people they serve and are doing all they can to assist these entrepreneurs with the resources necessary to thrive. As Damon describes in a video you will find on the Oakstop Black Business Fund website, the fund is about supporting these people and their businesses through the pandemic and the effort to dismantle racial injustice. He describes the effort as supporting those who live here, love here, do their business here, for those who have been here and deserve to stay here. My thanks to Damon for this, our first episode of the Pivot Through the Pandemic series here on 3AM, What's Keeping You Up at Night, a production of the McFarland Group, supported TechWise by Relationary Marketing. Until next time.